0: Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Helen.
2: I'm Mel. And I'm Janet.
1: In college, I remember loving the feeling of taking random classes outside my major and learning something totally outside my comfort zone. From West African dance class to the history of Greece, yes, your girl loves history. School is definitely the playground for my brain. Oh, I also took West African dance. (laughs) Oh! What?
2: Whoa! (laughs) I did not. But as the three of us graduated from college and moved into corporate jobs, a lot of the new learnings largely consisted of skills needed to excel in our careers. Whether that was taking a boot camp to job transition into UX design, or taking a course to get certified in accounting, it all circled around our careers. As
0: much as we learned a lot from those experiences, there's a novelty with learning purely for our own personal interests. So for today's episode, we are going to be sharing something we've learned and teach it to each other and to you. Hopefully this episode will spark a light for you to try and learn something you've always wanted to do, but have put off for one reason or another.
1: So I will say that learning into your adulthood is kind of difficult, right? But why is continuous learning so important? Well, according to LinkedIn's article, seven reasons why continuous learning is important.
0: <laughs> tell us, Mel, tell us.
1: Why is continuous learning important? Sorry, um, I just realized the article is the same thing. Anyways, um, wait, I don't get it. I said, why oh. is continuous learning so
2: important? <laughs> Sorry, now I get it.
1: Continuous learning is your self motivated persistence in acquiring knowledge and competencies in order to expand your skill set and develop future opportunities. It forms part of your personal and professional development in an effort to avoid stagnation and reach your full potential. Oh, yes. yes.
2: A few additional reasons. Continuous learning prepares you for the unexpected. According to Heraclitus, the only thing that is constant is change. Another reason, competence leads to confidence. I think all of us could use a little bit more confidence every once in a while. And thirdly, continuous learning changes and shapes our perspectives, which we always know is a good thing to keep updated. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So the next portion, we're going to be teaching each other something that we learned maybe in the last few years or something new we recently learned. So Hella, why don't you start us off? What is something you learned maybe recently or something you learned in the past few years? For me, I
0: feel like I have been learning a lot within the past few months. Um, Actually, when I think about learning, yeah, back then it was not fun, but now it is Mm -hmm. as an adult. But for me, I have been mainly learning because of the various life events that I've been going through and that I have absolutely no clue how to tackle um, for each of these events. So just to summarize, in the past five months, I have become a first-time homebuyer, first time home renovator. And this wasn't like a one room situation. This was the whole house. Um, I got pregnant and have had to learn a lot about everything that my body is going through and how to support this very vulnerable little, little human in my body. And I feel like for me, I am constantly trial and erroring and learning in all of these different areas of my life. So why did you want to learn this, Helen? A lot of what I've had to learn is honestly out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with the home stuff, learning about interest rates, about the housing market, about the negotiation process, that's all necessary so that uh, we didn't get screwed over. And with the home renovation process, there are so many nightmares about bad communication with contractors, things taking like two years to finish renovations. And I did not want to put myself in that situation. So mm. I tried to learn in order to be on top of everything that was going on in the house. Not like standing on top of it, which is what I just initially <laughs> thought about, but like to be to be knowledgeable. Mm. <laughs>
2: So it's like really out of like necessity because Mm. suddenly these things are happening in your life and you're like, well, I got to, and you're, I could see you're the type of personality that when faced with it, um, you're just, you're going to be like, I need to be prepared for
0: it. Yes. Yeah. So everything from like understanding the plumbing and water situation, which I think most people would be like, okay, do it. But I did my research on like, what is a leak? And also doing Mm. my research to confirm that the cost, which is so expensive was justifiable. Um, and then other things with the house, it's like understanding what types of countertops you want to have. You know, your contractor might suggest one thing, but do you know, you know, what your habits are like? Is it better for quartz or glass or granite or marble? Like what is the best? And same with the flooring, right? There's so many different types of flooring. So there was a lot of research that went into that area more for like preventative measures too, Mm. for the future. Mm. And then for the gardening stuff, that's honestly to fulfill this random dream that I have to, want to just be as sustainable as possible. And a part of that for me involves utilizing the land that I have and growing my own food and picking it from my backyard. It is so cool, let me tell you, when I like bring home a batch of fresh basil, I'm just like, Dude, I just saved three ninety nine. Oh, like it is such a good that's feeling. True, that's
2: true. Yeah, you save you save money and like you saw it grow too. It's like your baby, and then you consume it. I love the idea that you have a garden. I think that's so awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah. and I think it's just because I've never had a garden that I really appreciate. It's like land that you own. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. but. Yeah. From
2: downtown living in, like, a tiny condo to... I think you really appreciate it. I don't know. I'm so envious that you have, like, a backyard and a garden. It's I, can't, <laughs> I can't... I feel
0: like Janet would have such a green thumb, too.
2: Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> we sell my house plants that are half-dying, but...
0: <laughs> you have to water it every day. It is hard. Mm, it is, it yeah. is a lot of work to, like, get out there in the hot sun and, like, pick leaves and mm. prune things and all of that, but I think it's worth it, and... Mm that that's one that i enjoy
1: it seems like you're learning a lot of different things various things in relation to like your house the garden yeah. like being a mom so it's like i think you're con- even constantly learning in the past few months mm-hmm. yeah right so how would you describe like your ideal learning environment
0: hmm ideal learning environment would i would say would not be a classroom setting mm. and following a teacher I would say because I think pace is a very big factor on how people learn Mm. and if you get a teacher that is either going too fast and you feel like you're just taking down notes and you can read it later which is something that I felt like I was always doing like Mm -hmm. just taking down notes and then I'll learn later or if they go too slow and then they lose your attention either way I feel like that's not maybe the best way to learn so my favorite ways are in the order of one Asking my Google Home. <laughs> <If> it's, <laughs> if it's a quick question because it's efficient. Like yesterday I was that like, okay, Google, why does my armpit smell more now that I'm pregnant? <laughs> like, mm. And it gives me a fast answer. Is because there's an increase in On blood. <laughs> <health> plans, <laughs> During
2: pregnancy, you may okay. more as your body tries to keep you cool. Well, there you go. That's, you that's right true. For more body odor, <laughs> okay. Energy, so okay, Google.
0: More Stop. Thank you. See how fast you can learn? Yeah. Uh, two, it's Googling on the internet, either reading blogs or articles if I want to be learn something more extensive mm. or finding a good YouTube video if mm. it's a visual thing. And for those videos, I very much appreciate when there's a, here's a suggested clip for where your question will be answered. If it's like a mm. 20 minute video, I so appreciate when it brings me right to that spot. Saves me so much time. Um, and thirdly, I would say learning from friends. The way you can interact, ask questions, learn together. Um, and a big thing with my pregnancy was finding a just other women who are also going through the pregnancy. I felt like I was learning a lot from them. This like shared information situation where they're learning from me, I'm learning from them. That is a very good vibe and mm. I really like learning that way too.
2: Ah, oh, Those are some great tips for our listeners too, anyone out there who is... interested in picking up something new uh, different ways and methods that you can go through google home is a great resource i never that's like a upscale from like uh, just googling something Mm -hmm. so more convenient now that we've heard of all of these awesome things that you've been learning over the past couple of months Um, Mel and I are eager to learn something new from you. So what do you got to teach us that you could do in a couple minutes on this podcast? Okay, so for this episode, sorry, my thing might be boring. But
0: for this episode, okay, I was trying to go in various directions, right? I was like, all of the things that I mentioned earlier, I could teach, but what do I enjoy teaching? And the first thing I thought of was actually technical skills because usually when you think of yourself as a teacher, you think about what you've put years of work into Mm -hmm. and have refined the skills for. And for me, that was Excel modeling, <laughs> but oh. I think that would be hard to teach over a podcast. So along the same lines, I decided that today I want to teach how to grow your small business from a financial standpoint. <laughs>
2: Ooh, Really? Okay. Yeah. You like yeah, that? Yeah. That, I click on that.
0: Okay, cool. I like the reaction. Um, and I think this is something, I mean, that you ladies probably already know since we work together, mm-hmm. but for anyone out there who is just starting their own small business, I always do feel this innate urge to help others with growing their small business when I have the time to, just because I do have the finance background and I feel like I have a good understanding of foundational pieces. And I think with a lot of small businesses, especially if it's in the creative area, I've noticed that often there's not a lot of overlap between the business side of things and the creative side. Some people are purely talented creatives and they just want to do what they do and hope to grow. But I think there's always a strategy with whatever business it is that you are trying to grow. So I have summarized six tips to share. Can I take notes too? No, I'll send you my notes. (laughs) Okay. I would say number one, first off, props to you for starting your small business. Pat on the back. But know that you will be wearing many hats. Especially if you're super early in that stage, that means you are in charge of sales and marketing. It means that you need to understand taxes, be able to interact with customers and people. And at the end of the day, it is a lot of multitasking. So get your organization skills down and know that you can't ignore any part of your business, even if it's boring things like taxes, which we know starting our own small business. But that is one thing. Two, make sure it's something that you're truly passionate about, something you genuinely care about, because you gotta be in it for the long run to ride the lows, which will inevitably happen, to reap the benefits of the highs. And make sure it's just something that is genuine, authentic, and exciting to you. Three, create your sales funnel. Basically, if you wanna monetize, you need to have something that people wanna buy but that takes time. You need to have the consistency and the stamina to build awareness at the top of the funnel for what you're doing, whether it's through email marketing or blogging, social media, paid ads. And when you do that, you start to build interest for people to make that decision to whip out that credit card and to take action, which is towards the bottom of the funnel. So if you think about the funnel, it's like awareness at the top, down to interest, down to action for people to actually make a purchase. And this all goes back to point number two, which is genuinely care about what you're building because the building part takes a lot of time and there's no end in sight for when the rewards and the monetization will start kicking in. And also people are smart and don't buy into things that are not authentic and just like kind of bullshit, you know, so you gotta be honest, authentic with what you wanna put out there um, and build your sales funnel. Four. I would say track all of your finances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with ABG, we used Excel at first to track all of our revenue and associated expenses. And we still know the very first expense that we had, which was for our mics, yes. And the very first sale, which was for one of our mantra tees. And now that we have a lot more volume with sales and expenses, we use an online service called QuickBooks, which pulls in all of your... Revenue generated all the dollars that you're making and also pulls in the costs and expenses associated with your credit card, right? So every month I go in and categorize every single sale, whether it's for merch or advertising revenue or speaking engagements, and I'll title them too. So for example, if revenue came in from Skillshare, I will mark it as Skillshare. And then I can track exactly how much we've made from Skillshare every month in the year and track how much that grows and if it's a good investment of our time. I'll, I'll also track every expense, you know, like payment for team members, subscription fees for things like Squarespace and QuickBooks, expense meals, cost of merch, et cetera. And as much as that sounds very tedious to do, which it is, it is very helpful because for example, if we made sales on a specific t-shirt that we were selling, at any moment we could tell you how much it costs to design the shirt, to print the shirt, and the shipping and handling to fulfill the shirt. And that tells you how much of a profit you're actually making with the shirt, which can either incentivize you to continue focusing on merch as a selling point or shifting focus to something else that might be more profitable. And if down the line, for example, someone comes by and says, "You know, we wanna help you fulfill your merch, we at ABG can identify exactly what the costs are from our current fulfillment services and say, okay, can you do better than this? Mm-hmm. And then that will lead to overall higher profitability for us and maybe better working relations with like another company. So it starts by staying organized and tracking all of your sales and expenses at a very detailed level. And I can't stress that enough because if you do this, you can start strategizing how to grow your business financially based on where you're making profit and not making profit, understanding what is an investment of your time and what is just a waste of time. Mm. I feel like a teacher right now. <laughs> Four, I would say don't recreate the wheel. Many times if you're entering into an industry, you already have some form of competition or industry peers that you can do research on and everything is basically public. So for example, for us at ABG, we like to look at larger podcasters and see what paths they've taken and what they've been successful at. For example, a lot of of big podcasts go on a speaking tour Mm. or they create webinars and classes for the listeners who want to get more out of you. I mean, there is already a proven market interest in these spaces for podcasters that we have yet to go into, right? Mm -hmm. And if those spaces are successfully executed upon, they can become an additional arm of revenue that we haven't even thought of before. So do your research when you're starting off and try not to recreate the wheel too much, but definitely be innovative down the line. Five, form strategic partnerships. Mm. I would say you will grow a lot faster and build that sales funnel and the awareness faster if you partner with the right companies or right people to collaborate with because you quickly access a whole new audience of people that might not have known you before. And lastly, I will say keep diversifying what you can offer. In order to grow, you need to expand, right? There are many times for us at ABG where we've had pretty steady, if not growing, revenue per month, and we can see that it's because we've diversified our product offerings from just being a podcast to becoming more of a multimedia company. So for example, if our merch is not selling as much because we haven't launched anything new, we might see a crazy spike in revenue from our speaking events. So even if it's a down month for one category of revenue of merch, it's an up month for another using speaking events as an example. And netting both out, we you know, have been able to either be very consistent or growing in our revenue every month. And that involves a lot of diversifying to get there. So yeah, that was six steps to growing your small business from a financial standpoint. How to monetize, how to grow. Do we the legit? What? I'm <laughs> Dude, I'm like sweating from, from teaching.
2: <laughs> I know. I was gonna say, actually, that was a that was an awesome summary. Yeah. And uh, like if if you're able I mean, you have that written out, and if you're able to hand it to Mel, I feel like that's like a pretty good playbook. Oh, for sure. Um, and I know we have a lot of listeners who constantly ask us, like, how did you guys do it? Mm-hmm. What are you building? And Helen just gave six very solid steps mm-hmm. that you can take that really, if you can accomplish those things, like whether it's a podcast business or something else, you can create something.
1: I agree. And, I, and and just to give you guys some background, Helen actually reports monthly and I think quarterly we review our finances. And whenever we get those Excel and like the, the breakdown of the report, I'm always like, First of all, I'm just like, damn. And second of all, I'm like, (laughs) I'm very thankful we had this component and part of our business because we didn't have that. I'm still thinking in a day, like, yeah, we like to be creative, but you need the hard numbers and analytics to really determine what direction you're going to be going. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know.
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's a big part of how we are able to strategize because when we look at numbers, it is a tangible thing of what's working and what's not. And obviously, there are some categories where it we know that it's an investment of our time and that we might not it might not be lucrative right now, but maybe it will be down the line. You know, so as long as we know that and yeah. we know we're all on the same boat that this is an investment, we're not making money here, but you know we care about it and we want to do it. Mm-hmm. That feels better than. One day looking at the numbers and being like, oh, we're not making money here. Let's just stop doing it. Yeah. You know, we we get on the same
2: page and then we can move forward together better. Mm-hmm. yeah and i will say i feel like there is a trend of people in our generation whether they're entrepreneurs or they're creating small businesses of having like multiple streams of income or different mm-hmm. sectors so this is the situation where like i feel like getting your monthly reports also helps us track everything that's happening across the board versus every day we're always like balancing a bunch of different things right yeah so it's a, it's a, an amazing way to just really know everything that's happening at one time to keep track of everything that's happening on time. Yes, and I will just summarize this very quickly.
0: Six steps were to stay organized, know that you're going to be wearing multiple hats. Two, to make sure that it is something that you feel genuinely passionate about. Three, to create your sales funnel. So making sure that you're building awareness, interest, and then action for people to take. Four, to track all of your finances at a very detailed level. Five, to not recreate the wheel because many times something is already done out there that you can look at as an example, six to form strategic partnerships, and seven, I just realized that I didn't number this right earlier, but to keep diversifying what you can offer. Mm. Nice. Seven steps. You got a bonus extra step in there. Bonus step. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for teaching us, Helen. Thank you, ladies, for listening. All right. I want to hear from Mel. What is something that you have been learning right now or recently learned?
1: Okay. So kind of similarly to Helen, um, I think a part of our, uh, so funny is everything goes back to ABG. Something I feel like I'm always trying to be on top of is social media trends and strategy. Mm -hmm. I know everyone knows that I'm the social media girl, but learning something new, I feel like I always have to be learning something new to be on top of the trends. Mm -hmm. So Working in the digital space, you know how quickly things change and there's always a new platform and whatnot. So social media is the same thing. So that's something I feel like I'm always learning or recently learning about.
2: So Mel, I know that like you, it's a part of helping ABG grow, but you seem to also have kind of a personal passion with social media. Why did you want to continue learning social media?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question, Jay. Um, I generally enjoy branding and Mm. social media marketing because to be honest, it's one of the few things I can actually constantly say that I'm good at. Mm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just like, there's a lot of things I'm like, I'm okay. But I'm like with social media, I think maybe working in it in the past, I want to say 10 years now, it's something I feel like I really cultivated that skill. And when you're confident in something, you just want to keep learning more about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I also find social media to be really fun when used right. And I really enjoy the creative component of it. Um, Working in social has helped me also hone in on other skill sets that I really want to embrace. Like for example, creative ideation is a skill that I want to make sure I'm always exercising. Like ideating is hard like brainstorming new ideas in the creative field like everything has been done right so like how can you think of really unique ways to present something creatively digitally on social media And, like, for example, um, one thing we do is, like, how do you take one concept, like, home buying or wedding, and turn that into five different ideas for social media? Mm. I think that's so much fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I want to say, Mel, I feel like you're really strong in ideation. And I notice that because I'm very much the opposite. Like, I'm not a good, strong ideator. I'm better at, like, having some ideas and then creating structure around them. Mm. So this is where I feel like our skills complement each other quite well. But I'm always in awe of of, uh, people who can just like come up with ideas out of left Cause I feel like some, the things that come out of your brain, I'm like, what? I did not see yeah, that. Happening. No, and you'll come up with like 20 ideas in like five minutes.
1: I appreciate that. I think it's something like when I was younger, I think creative ideation was something I'm like, you're just kind of born with it. I do believe that mm. some people are just born naturally, very creative and innovative, but I will say, shout out to Jubilee Media, my last job, they have done exercises and practices with the team to really mm. like help literally sharpen ideation yeah yeah. and so for me i'm like without those practices i feel like i wouldn't have brought that to abg Mm -hmm. but it's really fun for me like these games and things that we do another thing about social that i actually really enjoy that maybe you guys both can say about your own departments is the analytics and seeing the numbers like growth is really fun for me i'm like ooh, the number went up or like just tracking the numbers didn't think i'd be a numbers girl but i do enjoy the analytics part of social media as well Mm -hmm.
0: well how do you like to learn or what is your ideal learning environment for these types of situations are you more of like a visual learner do you have like a set time to learn how do you increase your knowledge on the social media marketing side of things
1: Mm. I will say typically it's a lot of just self-research I've been doing lately Um, so usually I am the best learner when I'm in silence and by myself or I have some lo-fi music playing for the Mm -hmm. mood Um, I think it depends on what I'm learning like There's a lot of conferences nowadays in in Los Angeles where you could go to listen to like different like marketers, talk from different brands and see how they're marketing. But I haven't really gone to those. I'm more of a visual person, I'll say. And so visual for sure, especially because I like focusing on design and the creative aspect, which is more visual. Mm -hmm. But I will say though, I like accountability. So for example, for ABG, we do reports that hold me accountable that I know every month I need to send in a report because all of us send in reports, but if I if I didn't have YouTube or be, or if you guys weren't sending your reports, I would have been like, oh whatever, you mm-hmm. know. But mm-hmm. having that like monthly check in, I know. Also, my ideal learning environment is having set times. Like for example, every Monday morning, I know I, I write a social media weekly report. So it's just like a Monday morning thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter like what week it is. I just know Monday morning is my thing. So yeah, those are my my learning environments. Oh, also, um, this sounds really random, but I'm also very big on the environment. So if I'm just by myself, like. I need really good natural lighting, or else I get really sleepy. Mm. Like, do you guys ever go to certain offices? You're just like, ooh, I can't work here, or certain cafes?
0: I think for me, I need usually like a. uh, I guess it's not true, but I usually like having an enclosed space. So, recently I was at Mm. Ikea. And I was looking at their tiny office space settings, but like nicely decorated with like good shelving mm. for you know space to work. And then there's like books surrounding you. I'm like, I would love to work here. Oh, but I can also work at a cafe, which is an open area with like ambient, more mm. quiet noise, or like more what's it called when it's the same sound like the murmurs of just the cafe white noise. I guess kind of, yeah. It kind of just like blurs everything out in the background. I can work in spaces like that. Usually can't work when there's like loud music playing in the back. But yeah, very particular also about my working space.
1: I feel you. Because I was actually at a cafe yesterday working. And I love working at a cafe. Because I was like outdoors, the lighting was great. And I had my lo-fi music kind of playing. But I do realize like, I understand cafes are very public settings. People go in and out but there's only one like girl in front of me or one couple and she's just like going off and talking to this guy about like oh my god and then he moved in i'm just like dude like everyone else is like literally working here but i was like dude this is distracting but at the same time i'm like it's a cafe. Yeah. yeah. So I think it depends on the
2: the, yeah. the space. I am also a big lighting person. Yeah. I need natural lighting. I notice though, like, I won't, I'm not as perceptive to it when it's in the moment, but over time, if I'm working in a dark room, I just get more and more depressive. Mm-hmm. Versus like when I'm in a bright room, I just feel like inspired. It's yeah, yeah. But it's very, it's like not the full day. It's not in like one instance or moment. It's like over time. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those, Mel. Um, can you teach us something now? Sure. Uh, okay. So... Uh, again, like Helen, not sure this
1: is new to the ladies, but I thought it'd be fun for our listeners I actually do get a lot of DMs about social media, but to go over analytics, like social mm-hmm. media analytics and why it's important. This may not be new for me, but be new for you. So it's <laughs> part of the same category. So, okay. When you think about analytics, when you go to your insights for Instagram, if you have a business account, what do these numbers mean? Like, wh- like what is impressions? What is reach? What is whatever? So depending on your social media goals, these terms will hold different weights. For example, is it your goal to hit a new audience? Is it, is it to build a deeper connection with your audience? AKA is it community driven? Is it to convert sales? So it really depends on your goal as an individual or as a brand. Mm. So there are three terms I wanna go over that honestly, sometimes I get confused. Like I was trying to explain this to Ashley, I think when she first started a year ago for, she's our old intern, but now she's our coordinator. And I was like, okay, let me Google this one more time cause um, it gets confusing. So there's reach, impressions, and engagement. So let me go over what reach is. So reach is your potential unique viewers a post could have. For example, if one person sees your stories five times, the unique view would be only one, mm. okay? Impressions. This is how many times a post shows up in someone's timeline. So for example, even if you only have 1,000 followers, you might occasionally get have like 1,500 impressions. Why? Because some users return to the same content multiple times, which is a good sign. So mm-hmm. you're like,, oh, this post is really engaging. There's a lot of impressions or the same person's coming back. And the one other term that I very, I hyper focus on for us is engagement. This is a combination of your likes, comments, shares and clicks. So this all boils down to how much your audience is interacting with your account and how often, how involved are they with your brand? Do they care enough and resonate with your content to want to like and comment? So to go even one step further, Um, I look at engagement rate, the percentage, and this is one analytic I personally track for ABG because I think our goal is to make content that engages our audience and interact and interacts with our listeners. Mm -hmm. So just to give you guys some industry insight, and this is stuff I learned previously in my corporate job that I was like, oh, I always like held onto that while working at Jubilee and now at ABG. So for our goals that I track for our engagement rate per post. And overall, I want us to have a goal of 4% engagement per post. So to give you guys some context, when you're working in the beauty and fashion industry, their average percentage rate is 2%. For example, why is this relevant if you work in beauty and fashion or social media marketing? Um, if you let's say, let's say let's go to your favorite, like um, beauty brand, whether it's Mac Fenty, whatever you see, they have a lot of followers, but their likes are so low. They probably have a very low engagement rate which is why their average is around two percent because let's be real how really engaged can you be with a lipstick mm-hmm. are you are like i'm in love with this lipstick i want to marry it not really <laughs> so um, that's something to note and the reason why i track this is because when i used to work in social media for my fashion company we have a lot of like influencers or people that want to reach out saying can we partner up I, I charge this per i charge this per post for on my end though i'm thinking okay well let me look at your engagement rate and their engagement rate is like, they might like have like 500,000 followers, but they have only 2,000 likes. So I'm just like, mm. oh, that's really off to me. So I'm not gonna partner up with influencers that doesn't drive conversion for me at my previous company. So I look at this number because sometimes I think, depending on your brand, you can be very driven by how many followers they have. But the reality is, I wanna know how engaged your followers are with your brand. Mm-hmm. So it's something we track. And for us, the 4% engagement rate, I wanna challenge our brand as ABD to create higher engaged posts their audience resonates with. The last thing I want to walk through is how do we do this? How do we make sure we get 4% or above on our post? Number one, to be on top of your goals, you need to look at the hard numbers and see what's working and what's not kind of similar to what Helen mentioned earlier. So what we do on our end is we do have a third party account that we use. It's called, it's called Icona square. A lot of brands use this to track their analytics and it's free for certain, you know, for most of the reporting, and we do weekly reports and I did this in my corporate job. So I analyzed the numbers, the design and the copy to find what are working trends for ABG. Like, Oh, this posted well. Oh, why? Oh, because maybe uh, this is very relatable. The content is very highly shared. Okay. Noted. Um, Oh, that design didn't work. Why? It was too busy. You know, it's like little things you're trying to pinpoint. Mm-hmm. I will say this is also very familiar in email marketing campaigns. When you work in email mm-hmm. marketing, you do the same thing. Why is this one clicking through? Why isn't this one not? Another thing we do, like we mentioned is we do monthly check-ins on trends. So every month on top of the weekly reports, I do a monthly overview of like, this is our top performing post. This is our bottom performing post, and this is how many followers we got or whatever. And I always like to share a new trend or research item I found from social. Like for example, a new trend is that with a lot of e-com sites now moving to social media, a lot of sales are actually happening through Instagram versus through their website. Directly, so what does that mean for us as ABG as a brand? Oh, we should push more through Instagram more because it might drive more sales. So things like that to note can really help your business or your brand really thrive and have a very cultivated, engaged audience on social if you choose to. So these are some things I wanted to share.
0: Wow, yes, that's a great summary, Mel, of everything that not everything, but like the top things to mm-hmm. focus on when you're trying to grow your brand. I
1: like the whole like the whole like relationship with each other.
0: Yeah less so just focusing on the number of followers. Mm-hmm. It's more about like how are people actually interacting based on the number of followers that you do have. Mm-hmm. And that is what results in conversions. And if you want to try and monetize things, that is what companies do care about. So focusing on that is, yeah, I actually never really, because it's hard to see engagement, right? Unless you calculate it mm-hmm. off to the side, which what's what's the calculation for engagement?
1: I think it's, uh, to be honest, I cheat because I have a software that just pulls my rate percentage. But I want to say there is a formula. I think it's like, Likes plus comments plus shares, right?
2: Over followers.
1: Yeah, over followers. But Google, I might be incorrect. I think another reason why I do follow engagements because I think, this sounds very, but like, there's like clout chasing. I think a lot of people just want a lot of followers, but like, well, in the end of the day, if you really care about the people that follow you, you're looking at engagement. Right, 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 right.
0: Yeah, very good tips, Mel. Thank you for sharing that. For anyone who is curious about more of your social, I mean, everyone's in social media these days, right? So you want to learn more about that, check your insights button, and now you can have more details as to how people are engaging with you.
1: Yeah, and also just specify, it was for Instagram. Sorry, I focus on Instagram a lot, but yes, yeah, please, please take a look.
2: Did you eat yet? Did you sleep okay? Have you had your annual physical? Just Janet here, stepping in on behalf of your parents and checking in to see how you're doing with your doctor appointments. If you don't know where to start, you can download the free ZocDoc app. It's the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. Here's how it works. You type in which type of doctor you're looking for, whether that's a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist. Add in your location, your insurance, and desired appointment date. ZocDoc then returns profiles of doctors that match your needs. Their doctor profiles are clutch and my favorite part of using ZocDoc. They're super detailed with a photo of the doctor, their bio, ratings which detail the average wait time, their bedside manner, and verified patient reviews. You can even book an appointment directly in the app. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ABG and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash A-B-G.
1: Now let's do something from Janet. Ooh. So Jay, what is something you've been learning right now or recently learned that you wanna share?
2: Uh, So I've shared this with you ladies a bit, and I think I've shared it in some of our vlogs, but I'd love to go into more detail now. I recently completed a meditation teaching certification course. It was a 10-week online with bi-weekly Zoom check-ins and hosted by um, a teacher who is based in Australia with students from all over the world and of all different ages and um, different genders. I think in our cohort there were maybe like 10 to 11 and usually there's like 20 to 30. Well, why did you
0: want to learn this? We know that you are into meditation, that you meditate on a daily basis, but why did you want to actually take this course at this point in your life?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was hitting a point where I wanted to deepen my personal practice. So I started um, my meditation practice in the end of 2019 and through all of 2020, um, I felt like it was just kind of getting into the mode of incorporating that into my habit, my lifestyle of doing it twice a day for 20 minutes. And then about a year passed and I was like, okay, I kind of wanted, like, I want more of this. I found myself listening to podcasts and like um, reading books. And and I was just like, I want, to, I want to learn more and I want to be involved and I want to have a more regular way to incorporate meditation into my daily life. So I was like, okay, well, you know the saying, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Mm. Um, so I thought, okay, let me figure out how to teach meditation. Um, And meditation is kind of a really unregulated industry right now. So I had a hard time. I I went to Google and I was like, how to get certified or teach or what's the program? Mm -hmm. And there isn't really like a unifying board right now. Um, So I I also like DM'd some people on Instagram or through social media who like teach meditation. Mm -hmm. And what I found is most of the time people right now are learning either through individual uh, teachers or at a studio and then they're taught like their own curriculum. So there's no like universal board that says unlike yoga where like you have to get like certified for 200 hours or whatever that is so it made it a little bit harder for me like I couldn't find there wasn't like a a single source but through Google I discovered kind of some online options and especially because 2020 we were in COVID right everything was digital so um I Kind of did more research, talked to more people, and decided on this particular program because the meditation practice that I learned is um, called transcendental meditation. And I thought it was really easy and really great. However, they ask you to not teach other people. So there's no, and I think the the thinking behind that is that they want you to, they want to make sure that it's taught properly. And in order to teach through their program, I think it's a very extensive training. And most of the people that teach tend to like work for them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm not looking to make this a career. I'm looking to kind of just like further my relationship. Um, And the program that I found online teaches a very similar type, and style of meditation and the whole goal of the guy who created the program was to democratize meditation so to make it as easy as possible to teach people who can then teach it to other people Mm um so yeah I think uh that was kind of kind of it I I wanted to deepen my personal practice I thought teaching something might be one of the best ways to deepen my relationship with that and I and I kind of really asked myself beyond just practicing meditation how do I want to have a deeper relationship and I felt like I want to be able to share it with people more mm. so Jay I feel like you really define the term student life
1: and you have been constantly teaching yourself something new throughout the years Um, but for meditation specifically, what is your ideal learning environment?
2: Yeah. You know, I actually really like this question because I feel like it's, um, I remember my dad told me when I was like stressing out through school and like high school and college, he's like, it's not about what you're learning. It's about learning how you learn, like Mm. to understand because everyone learns differently. Right. And then school is the time to practice, uh, figuring out how to how you learn that's true to be honest i haven't totally figured it out yet <laughs> i do think i am generally a visual learner and kind of like helen when i would go to lectures i would be so focused on trying to capture all the information. I don't feel like I was, like, actually taking it in sometimes. Mm-hmm. I agree. But I will say that just through retrospect, if I look at, like Mel, you said, I, I have a tendency, from the time I've graduated college now, I've taken a lot of random just, like, courses or programs. Mm-hmm. And I think that is because I learn best through more formal, structured Things that mm. hold me accountable. Mm. I'm not very good at self study, mm-hmm. and um, so I found I have found that courses and usually like the perfect timing has been ten weeks. I've done a lot wow. of ten week programs, and some of them have been completely immersive, which usually is what worked when I career transitioned, meaning you quit everything and you kind of just like it's called a boot camp and you just dedicate ten weeks of your life to living, breathing it, and everything. And I I like that it's like all focused and also you get to be around other people who are going through that with you. And I think the aspect of community is something that's like really undervalued. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I started working, I still continue to take classes. Um, like because our I think when I started working in UX design, there was one of my companies that like they would pay for education. So I was like, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I took like a part-time visual design course. And that was like twice a week for about 10 weeks for a couple hours. I think right after that, then uh, when I left UXN we were doing, we were doing um, ABG, I became more fascinated with, I think I'd read the book about the Dalai Lama at that time. And I was like, I want to get more of this in some way. So I found through the book, they mentioned a course on compassion. So I found a, an online course that uh, Stanford um, University teaches and it's for, I think, okay, it was like maybe a couple hundred dollars. But I was like, this is like awesome that it's associated with the university where they're doing research on it. And it's like, you know, people who have like actually go out and practice it in their, um, in their professions and different things. And I'm like, I want to be able to learn their content and also to meet some of these people Mm -hmm, online. mm -hmm. So I did that. Um, and then the next evolution was, okay, now I want to learn meditation. So I think I've just learned that it's, it helps me to be held accountable. And I, I really learned the benefit of that accountability in this round, because to be honest, the, I've never taken a course to be certified in something where I have to be held accountable to teaching it to someone, mm-hmm. and there is something about like if you're going to be teaching people and you're and this program is is certifying you so that you can charge to teach. I feel like there's like pressure to be able to deliver right a very specific like a. I don't want to like fuck anyone up right, yeah. and you think like meditation can't really fuck someone up, but if you if someone gets like super I don't know, has like a a really profound experience or like a really bad anxiety attack or something during that, that is like, I'm held accountable for that. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is like a lot of security around that. And then if they're paying me money, I feel like I need to be able to deliver on value. Mm -hmm. So there was added pressure in this. And we were, I was doing this course while we were still working at ABG. And there was a moment where I kind of, I was like, you know what, I want to do this but maybe i'll just like push it back a little bit like maybe i'll ask them if they'll let me like do my final presentation or like the test in the next um in the next cohort because this month is really busy and the nice thing about being being in a course where we had to do calls every two weeks and they're only like 10 11 people the instructor literally goes person to person and be like how are you doing what's your progress blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. and then And I told him, I was like, honestly, I'm kind of slipping. Like, I just don't, like, things are really busy, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, okay, well, let's think about, like, I don't know. He kind of, he pulled some, like, deep Jedi shit with me. (laughs) where He was like, what is it that you're really afraid of? You know, or, like, think back to, like, I have a feeling, um, and because it's pretty personal, I've had one-on-one conversations with him a bit. So he knows kind of of my background and why I'm taking this course. And, of course, there's the I want to deepen my relationship. There's also some deeper personal experiences I've had and maybe spiritual stuff um that he because he had that knowledge he was like look from what I little I know of you as a person perhaps this is a behavior or a way you're reacting that is maybe a pattern let's think about what it is you're really hesitant about and maybe Mm. if this could be an opportunity to push past that and the the kind of When we graduate, he, based on what he's picked up from each person now that we've known each other for 10 weeks, is he kind of gives you like parting words to give you the confidence to go into teaching or to tell you the thing that he thinks you need to hear. Mm -hmm. And he says, I get a sense that you have a tendency to make mountains out of molehills. So the thing that I took away was like, okay, maybe this is something that I can push through. That would to me is why like doing a 10-week course and having a dedicated teacher really was something that would help me. Yeah. So I think a way that I learn is beyond visual, I think I'm also someone who learns by doing. And that's something I've discovered through not just like content, but even like life experience and relationships and all those things. I feel like I can analyze and I can try to research, but at the end of the day, my actual opinion or conclusion or decision that I make often changes once I actually do it. So mm. for me the the a lot of these boot camps and these courses are like you actually are doing when you're learning, you're like creating a portfolio or you're you're teaching a class or you're doing a practice something. so hmm.
0: okay, well, I'm curious because you just said that you're not supposed to teach us, but, teach us something new today. <laughs> what do you plan to teach us today?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. So this gets a little tricky because the the way that I was, I was basically, I'm now certified to teach a, to teach the style of meditation over the course of a three-day course where each session is 90 minutes. So in order to yeah we don't got that we're not (laughs) going to be on the podcast for hours. So um, unfortunately, I will not be teaching us exactly that style of meditation because I do believe that in order for something to be valuable, you need to spend adequate time to Mm. like learn it and to practice it together and Mm -hmm. to go through all those details. Mm -hmm. But in relation to the desire of doing work that is around preserving your calmness and your peace, I have a really um, interesting breathing exercise that I had learned through a friend who does it before his meditation. Hmm. And I think it's a, it's a really quick thing to teach and learn. And I think it's a really good, like if you do it for a couple of minutes, you will feel like more calm and more kind of collected. So that's what I'll be teaching later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would love to learn this, Jay. I'm excited.
2: So now, um, ladies, if you'll let me, I'm going to lead us through a mindfulness and relaxation method to calm the body and mind. So I'm just gonna read off very quickly some benefits for um, breathing with focused attention. Um, When you practice breath work, it can help regulate the nervous system. It can help slow your heart rate and lower your blood pressure. Uh, It helps improve breathing in general and better oxygen flow and deeper exhales lead to healthier and stronger lungs. And overall breath work can help manage feelings and lower anxiety. So this very simple technique that we're gonna walk through right now is called alternate nostril breathing. And some people will do this for um, maybe just a couple of terms and some people will do it for about 10 minutes. So what we're gonna do now is take your, let's see, let's take your right hand and you're gonna take your thumb and plug your right nostril. Now take a deep exhale and push all the air out of your left nostril. And then now alternate and with your ring finger, plug your left nostril and release your thumb from your right nostril and take a deep inhale through your right nostril. And now take a deep exhale through that same right nostril, keeping your finger there, plugging the left. And now we're going to put the thumb back on the right side and release the ring finger from the left. And again, take a deep breath in. And exhale out, keeping that same nostril plugged and now alternate again ring finger over the left nostril release the right and inhale in and exhale out so if you do that alternating for about 10 minutes that's the maximum time where you'll feel the benefits of your nervous system regulating of your heart rate slowing and your blood pressure slowing what are, what am i right my nostrils more clogged than <laughs> <I'm> clogged. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh. Maybe maybe do a little nose nose rinse before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I oh, that's
0: nice. That's relaxing. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. But that's a simple exercise. So if you and you could just do it at your desk. So if you need like do it for two or three minutes, it can help kind of like uh, relieve a little bit of stress and reset you. Ooh,
1: I like that a lot. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. yeah. To clear my, clear my <laughs> right nostril. That's what yeah. I learned
0: right now too. And I was
1: like, what if I have boogers? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for teaching us how to uh, do this. Really like very uh convenient too. Meditation yeah. or like a breath work we could do anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think to wrap up this episode, I'd love to hear from you ladies. Why is learning important to you? What do you want to learn next? So Jay, why don't you
2: kick us off? Uh, I think learning is important because, um, I think a part of leading a healthy and inspired life is being curious and a part of fulfilling your curiosity is to learn things. Um, so I f- learning just keeps life interesting and that's kind of been what's helpful for me to just always be engaged with something new. Um, and the thing that I want to learn next, so this breath work exercise is actually the first time I looked up a breathwork exercise and I'm kind of interested to learn other types of breath work. So I think next Ooh. I'm going to look into that. Ooh, yeah. cool. How about you Mel? Well, for me, why is learning important is that
1: recently I went through my values. Thank you Helen for the exercise. And I learned that my number one value is actually personal development for right now. And learning is a huge part of that. So mm-hmm. the definition of personal development is activities that improve awareness and identity. And so when I think, so when I learn things that bring me joy, I feel the sense of accomplishment and happiness. So there are three things on my list I really want to learn. One is Korean, the language. I love K-culture, consume mostly Korean shows. I'm already really surrounded by the language. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to find a group course so I could be held accountable. I did do a lingo last year and I didn't stick with it. Self-learning is really hard with language. The second thing I want to do is learn surfing. Um, I found it really hard for me to find a physical sport I enjoy and I love the water and we took a class together last year. I really loved it and it wasn't too bad. Like I, and I wasn't too bad at it because I feel like in high school, you you do PE and there's always like, they they do different rounds of sports. Yeah. I always sucked at all the sports we played besides volleyball actually Mm. and or, or anything or swimming. So I feel like there's a feeling of like when you're a little competent at something, you do feel like you want to learn it more. Yeah. And the last thing I want to learn is to learn the history of Taiwan and my family. Mm. Oh. Like I mentioned, I really do enjoy history, and I took it for fun in college. And I find myself reading a lot of narratives that are based on true facts, and based also on true facts and during histor- historical times, like Pachinko or White Chrysanthemum or Green Island. So I want to dive deeper into this within my own culture culture, and then talk to about it with my family. So there's Aww. some
0: things. I love those things. Thanks. you yeah. Helen. For me, why learning is important, Um, actually, like Mel, learning is also one of my top five values in Hmm. life. But... Not only is it learning, I think specifically I said growth Mm. in all aspects of my life, which requires learning. And another one of my top five values is excellence in everything that I am passionate about and that I want to do. So for me, I don't want to learn for learning's sake because when I think about learning, I think about school and the, the forced learning that I don't remember a lot of things from now back in school, but I want to learn to grow and become a better version of myself every day and to excel at those things because... Because naturally, as a type 3 Enneagram, like Mel as well, we are achievers. And it's it's not that... It, for me, it's not that I, don't, I want to excel from a competitive standpoint. But I want to excel because I truly believe that we have limited time on this earth. And it's like, why half-ass things when you can become great at them? Mm-hmm. And learning is literally right at your fingertips, like we've mentioned with all the different methods and ways that we learn. It's so, I mean, okay, hello, Google. What would I say? Okay, Google. (laughs) And they, you know, they'll teach you something. Um, It doesn't take a lot of effort, but it does take a lot of intention. So the older I get, definitely the more I do want to learn. Um, I will say that the next Things that I want to learn, I guess, kind of consistent with what I mentioned earlier, is that it is out of necessity. I want to learn how to be a good mom. So I have books, I have videos I need to watch. There's still so much that I need to learn. And yes, it's out of necessity, but I'm also very curious about um, how to take care and grow a healthy child and happy child. So that will be my next thing. But I will say that I always feel like a constant noob hashtag noob for life but you know I do enjoy learning growing and just becoming a better person every day.
1: No yeah. well thank you ladies for sharing the things you're currently learning on and when you hope to learn in the future. And again we hope this episode encouraged you all to learn something new or to even just to go deeper with something you're already learning right now. Um as you can hear from this episode, all three of us are learning different things and want to learn various different things. Um, so we're actually curious what you guys want to learn about right now. So when you guys comment in our latest Instagram post, what you're currently learning or we want to learn in the future. If you don't already, please follow
0: us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, leave us a rating and review and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash Asian boss girl slash
1: support or get some merch at Asian boss girl my shopify dot com. If you resonate with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. If you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called GRBG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms
2: is Asian Boss Girl. And we have a couple of shoutouts to wrap today's episode. Jessica in Toronto is wishing a happy birthday to her favorite ABB, Hank. She loves you so much and can't wait to make more memories with you. To Rachel from me and Irvine, shout out to one of the kindest people I know. Thanks for introducing me to ABG a few years ago and being a literal boss. Erica from San Francisco is sending a happy 19 months to Jonathan. Thanks for always being here for me as part of my support system and someone I can lean on even miles away. I can't wait to see you IRL so we can eat all the yummy foods together. Glub, glub, glub. Also coming from San Francisco, Lily is sending a message to Denny, her amazing IG husband. She can't wait to marry you again after all the postponements from COVID. She vows to try to cook one day. And in Los Angeles, Christine sends a shout out to Kenna. You're the sweetest mama I know. Thanks for always being there for me and listening to my life stories. And not too far from LA and Garden Grove, Jenny thanks Tammy for being her best friend and pushing her to become someone she is proud of. And last but not least... Minnie from Bangkok is sending a shout out to us at ABG. Thank you for being the big sisters I always wanted. Thank you so much for listening, Minnie. And if you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out the link in the show description or Linktree in our link in bio on Instagram and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our
0: episodes, including this one.
1: And with that, we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.